This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal, Stephen Maresca, and Matt Fusaro. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined in a full house today by Matt Fusaro, Steve Maresca, and we have Rob McWilliams, the VISO and privacy consultant here at Vancourt, who's the, who's the guest of our guest of our show today. He knows all things about privacy, not to put you on the spot, but, but I will. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. So let, we're, we're going to spend a little bit of time actually today on decisions that you might need to make. Right? You've had an incident. Uh, we've spent podcasts talking about the, the technical aspects of it, right? The containment, the remediation. Uh, today, we're going to spend some time on you know, the legal notification requirements, uh, depending on the type of data that you had and depending on you know, whether or not your know, data was exfiltrated or, you know, or, or taken, right, in more layman terms. Uh, so, you know, maybe, Rob, if you can spend just a couple of minutes laying out maybe a couple of the privacy laws that exist out there, uh, and then we'll just sort of start thinking about, you know, what would be the influencing factors as, as organizations think about their disclosure requirements? Yeah, sure, Jason. It would be really nice to say that um, the notification requirements uh, for a, a business or an organization in the United States uh, were really simple, that they were just in one place and you consult that one place um, and you've got your answer. Um, unfortunately, uh, as in so much of life and certainly security and privacy, um, the devil is in the detail. And so it will depend on what kind of data um, has or may have been breached uh, and many other factors. So in terms of some of the laws, um, I do, of course, have to mention HIPAA and its updating law, HITECH, uh, which concerns breaches of HIPAA-regulated data. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about those today. I don't think we are anyway, because uh, people who are involved as covered entities of HIPAA or business associates of HIPAA generally know this stuff inside out. So we'll probably give that a, a quick pass over. Um, Surprisingly, at the federal level, like HIPAA, um, GLBA, the, the privacy rule that affects, uh, that, that concerns financial institutions, uh, doesn't in fact have um, any requirement uh, or clear requirement to, to notify in case of a breach, um, although that doesn't mean that you've got to get out of jail free card uh, there. Um, I think what we'll fo focus on a bit today is um, state data breach laws, which you know, uh, most people have probably heard of. Um, we might go into one rule that uh, perhaps people won't have heard about, which is the FTC's health breach notification rule. And we'll go overseas as well to see what the GDPR uh, has to say uh, about breach notification. Rob, what is a breach? <laughs> just good. So I was going to draw that distinction right now. Well, um, there you go. That just is a... Uh, is a great example of wouldn't it be nice if things were simple and there was a universal definition of what a data breach um, is. And of course, they do have other names as well. You hear, to hear about security incidents and you know, all, all kinds of other things. And the, the short and unsatisfactory answer, unfortunately, is that different laws um, have different definitions of a breach. Um, and perhaps something I should have mentioned, of course, is that your obligations as an organization in the event of a breach um, 
are indeed laid down in law, but they're also laid down in the contracts that you've signed with organizations whose personal data you handle. And sometimes those are in things called DPAs, data processing addendums. Sometimes if it's health data, it's in a business associates agreement. And in all of those, the definition of a breach may be different from organization to organization. Um, taking the state data breach laws, of which there are now 50, and that number is not coincidental, uh, <laughs> plus a few overseas <laughs> territories, they generally agree that it's an, uh, an uh, unlawful or unauthorized disclosure of personal information. Um, but they don't agree on everything. So some states, and Connecticut is one, will add to that, um, that it's just unlawful or unauthorized access to personal data. So not necessarily, it's a bit more expensive. Um, there are certain things that completely rule out something being a breach, and one of those is encryption. Um, if your data is, personal data, is adequately encrypted, um, then, and the key there is adequately, um, then it cannot be breached. Uh, of course, if somebody has the key to the encryption, then that doesn't apply. Somebody alien to your organization has the key, then it doesn't apply. So there isn't a simple explanation of a breach. And um, as I'm not sure you, as I know you know, Steve, very often the biggest part of any breach response is working out whether a breach actually happened. So it would be fair to say that a, a breach is broadly understood to mean the disclosure of information across the line between an organization and some entity outside thereof, or across the line of authorized use. Yes. I mean, in fact, here is a, a fairly standard definition. Unlawful and unauthorized acquisition of personal information that compromises security, confidentiality, or integrity. And yes, the line between an organization and outside the organization is important because, um, and in fact, some state breach laws have a stipulation that actually carves out a... Um, good faith uh, disclosure of personal data within the organization. So somebody, some member of your staff sees the data and they shouldn't have seen the data according to your own policies, but they did. But they didn't do anything bad with the data. They just saw it. They reported it. That's usually carved out as not a not a breach. Obviously, if they saw it, downloaded it, and sent it off to their, their hacker friend, then that would be a different question. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's fair to say then, if there is an incident that results in a breach, and you've got employees of a company that are spread across a variety of different states, you need to reconcile the breach notification laws for every state? Uh, or are you doing notification based on the state that you reside in? Uh, it's the, the, the law that applies to you um, is based on the residence of the individual whose data has been breached. Wouldn't it be nice if it was just where you happen to reside? And so if you're a New York business, all you have to know is the New York breach notification or breach, yeah, breach notification law. Um, Unfortunately, it's not that way. So if you are a national business, 
um, we'll come to international later, um, you may well end up having to look at the, 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 the breach notification laws of 50 states and a handful of territories. So during the analysis process of something that might turn into a breach determination, you have to keep all those things in mind and prepare for determining what data has been exposed. You have to do that work to help ultimately decide what notifications required. So what's that look like? Um, I actually think it's better if you've done the work before the breach comes <laughs> along because um, if, if you suddenly discover that you've had a breach, then the organization goes into hopefully controlled panic mode um, and you know, all of this then has to happen. If you're an organization that collects and uses personal information, and that's nearly every organization today, um, it's, it, and you believe that that data would require notification in the United States, that's something else we should come to, is the kinds of data that require notification. Um, I think it would, it would be great preparation to say, okay, 50% of the people whose data we hold are in California. So you pri prioritize California. 20% are in New York. So you prioritize New York. If you've got one or two people in uh, Rhode Island, you know, maybe you can leave that as a manageable risk or for something later in the, uh, in the, in the process. So what types of data, ultimately, are the, are the governing components? What are the biggest players? Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record because it, I'm going to say the same thing. Wouldn't it be great if, <laughs> as, if it was all just the same um, from state to state? But um, there are variations from state about what kinds of data require notification. The good news is there is a basic definition that applies in most states. First name or initial and last name, plus social security number, driver's license number, or some other state-issued ID, um, or um, a financial uh, account or card number, usually combined with a security code or PIN or something that would give you access to that, um, that, that account. Um, that's kind of the basic definition. Unfortunately, again, there's additions to that. So in California, um, and indeed in many other states, health data is thrown in there. And that doesn't have to be um, HIPAA health data. It can be any kind. Of, it can be the health data on your Fitbit. You know? so, so not necessarily address or physically, physical address or email address or some other piece of identifier tied with your name? Correct. If it was just your name, your street address, your name, your email address, it probably wouldn't count as, Would as okay. needing. But these definitions are expanding all the time. And again, in California, um, and I'm sure other states, um, a simple username and password to any kind of online account, you know, even your, your, your Yahoo Mail, would require notification. So these are things you have to be on top of. Um, and in Massachusetts, since we're in, you know, we're in New England, um, their financial account information, yes, 
but in, in Massachusetts with or without the password or the security code. So any financial account number would require notification. So just playing devil's advocate here, what happens if I just choose not to notify? What, what happens to a company? What do they have to be prepared for for risk in that case? Well, it could, depending on your luck or lack of it, <laughs> yep. um, uh, it could run the gamut from nothing um, to uh, action by the state attorney general against you if the, if the breach is discovered. Um, or private right of action, it could there could be a class action lawsuit um, against you. So this is not something you want to mess around with. And I think it it is better. To, this is something that state attorney generals and other and they, they tend to be the enforcers of this um, are very tuned into. If if an organisation loses personal information that leads to somebody having their identity stolen or their accounts accessed and emptied, they're going to take it very seriously and the penalties will be very high. So um, I really would not advise knowing that you've had a data breach that, that reaches the threshold of state law and just pretending it didn't happen. It's, it's not a good strategy. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is that you know we've we've been in incidents before where notification people almost have that in their head as a uh, not something they necessarily have to do. Yeah, an option, right? They just don't. I think a lot of them just don't understand what the consequences are, how they affect them, um, and you know, obviously, like you said, it's different depending on your data, depending on what it is, depending on where you are. So it's, it's difficult for some organizations to understand that. It, it's, it's really tough. Yeah. I mean, th there's no doubt about it. If you're a national organization and you, you suffer a data breach, um, working out how you notify is, is, is really tough. It's hard work. Uh, so the, 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 the best solution is not to have a breach, but I know that's not always an option. Um, the, the good news is that as well as some of the limiting factors we've already discussed like the in terms of data and the, the, the definition of a breach many states allow there to be a risk of harm analysis that you can sit down and say look we, we've looked at this from from every angle and the likelihood that an individual is going to suffer some kind of harm from this is very small so we're, we're, we're not this is not a, a breach as defined by state law. My only advice on that is that risk of harm assessment, it can't be magical thinking. And you've got to, you've got to guard against wishful and magical thinking. Say, yeah, nothing's going to happen. And basically, you know, if somebody has got from you names and social security numbers and driver's license numbers, you know, there's a good chance that something bad could happen to those people. And you've got to acknowledge that. As part of the notification process, is it required in any states that you notify attorney general? Or is that typically, you know, an act of just you know, transparency by a company? No, in, in the majority of cases, um, breaches above a certain threshold of, of affected individuals uh, will require notification to the attorney general. Now, the, the number 
varies from state to state. It's fairly high. It, it, you're not going to hit it if it's just 100 individuals or something, but you, you know there is a threshold there, and you normally have to notify the AG. Uh, you may have to notify the individuals themselves. Uh, but you probably will. Um, in some states, you have to notify the consumer rating agencies, so the guys that do the credit scores. In some cases, you may have to put something in the in the media, even, and you know, put something in the whatever the state equivalent of the Hartford Current is to say that your organization's had this this breach. So, if you're not otherwise required or compelled in by threshold, you know, by the number of records like you're talking about, you know, it's just a general set of guidance. Is it still a, a nice or recommended courtesy to notify? Is it a reasonable practice to notify even if there isn't necessarily sufficient grounds to do so? I think that would apply primarily to the notifying individuals. Um, I, I, I guess it's arguable whether you should, out of courtesy alone, notify the Attorney General or the Hartford Current, in our case here. Um, with individuals, I guess it's it's a, it's a, you know, it's perhaps a more. I can I can see a better case for notifying individuals, but there are. I think you would only do that when you really have got the facts established, um, and that there is a purpose for doing it. Um, I don't think it's. And generally, the purpose would be that, you might be at some risk of, in which case you may have had to notify anyway. Uh, ultimately, there's a lot of ambiguity <clears throat> after an incident, and that's the yeah. root of the question. It's it's sometimes unknowable, um, the number of records that might have been if affected. It's sometimes unknowable um, whether or not unauthorized access occurred. And, you know, I think that a lot of um, security incidents operate in that uncertainty and don't quite know how to operate in terms of notification or not. It, it's also one of the reasons why typically really early in incidents, we transition a conversation from, you know, containment to, well, let's make sure we do some cursory data analysis to understand what your potential risk down the road is, because once things are back up and running, it's usually when we transition into that, you know, data analysis, data notification phase, but you don't want to have destroyed evidence uh, while doing any of that precursor work or anything like that. So, you know, the, these things go hand in hand for sure. So while we may have broken the conversations up into segments, uh, the reality is you need to be thinking about all of this uh, from the start, you know, from, from the time something is an incident until the time it becomes a breach. So hypothetically, we've reached the threshold of breach. We've done the basic notifications to whatever is required by the, the local regulator. What is the next step? What's the tail end of the notification process look like if there is a common set of actions? Well, notification can be the end um, that you've you've told the required parties that the breach happened. The notification, again, depending on the specific law, should contain certain elements, and we've talked about some of those. What happened, what the risk is, what data was breached, that sort of stuff. And sometimes, as you know, it, it's very common to offer, if there's a risk of identity theft, to offer credit monitoring, and I think in some cases that is obligatory. So you, I'm sure we've all had those 
emails from time to time saying you can get free credit monitoring because your data was was breached. Um, and if things go well, that might be the the end of it. Um, it it's I think where security incidents can seem endless is when you don't respond to them properly and then this comeback uh, with regulators or others saying, why didn't you notify, uh, why didn't you do this, why didn't you investigate properly? And of course, the, the, the big thing to wrap it up, and, and this is more on the security side, is just to do everything possible to make sure that particularly that particular breach doesn't happen again. Um, the One other thing I would probably throw out there is, as an organization, is always to think at what point you are going to need outside help. Um, I think very few organizations are really equipped internally to deal with a substantial breach. And it's good ahead of time to think, okay, when this happens, who's going to help us? So, I mean, that, that feels like an appropriate, an appropriate place to stop uh, if, if not just because we're over our normal sort of a normal time here. But I mean, I think what you, you, you've given a ton of information, but I also think you've made it crystal clear that for most organizations, right, they're going to have a population, uh, a, a data population that's probably going to be spread across a variety of states. And as a result, likely going to need external guidance. Uh, so don't try to do it on your own. You know, reach out to somebody, you know, ideally find, you know, legal counsel during the incident. Uh, but get that guidance early, understand what your obligations are. Uh, and it's going to be you know, based on your state, based on what regulatory requirements you need to, you, you need to have met. Uh, and potentially, right, you, you're, you're notifying individuals and attorneys generals and, and individual states. So it really complicated really quickly, it seems. If I could just quickly say two other things just to make sure I've given the complete picture. Um, one is... Um, there is a federal um, FTC health breach notification rule that is deliberately targeted at organizations that process health data um, but are not covered by HIPAA. So they're not hospitals, they're not practices, they're things like connected devices. Um, and so if you are collecting the, that kind of data from your users, you've got a wellness app or a connected device of some sort, and that data is breached, you're not off the hook because you're not covered by HIPAA. You have to report under the FTC health breach notification rule. And the other one, just as a one-liner, is um, these in, in uh, overseas, so let's just talk particularly about Europe and the UK, um, all of this is in the GDPR, similar kind of things about when you have to notify what kind of risk assessment you can do before notifying timeframes. The difference with the GDPR is it, it doesn't limit it to certain kinds of data, potentially any personal data. So going back to what you brought up, Jason, even just an email, an address, and a name, if breached and posing some kind of a risk, could require notification in Europe. Well, Rob, thanks for joining. You're that, welcome. This is hugely helpful. I think uh, 
maybe for some people, it probably raises as many questions as it answers. But I think that's the goal, right? Get people thinking a little bit about what the risk is and what the requirements are. Uh, as always, if everybody wants to explore this topic any further, uh, let us know. We're happy to continue the conversation. Uh, and we hope you got uh, some useful information out of this, and we appreciate everybody listening. Thank you. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Vancord Security. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.